Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is Christy Kim, the COO of Persona the identity infrastructure company backed by Index Ventures and Co2 that offers businesses the building blocks to create personalized identity verification experiences for any use case. In her role, Christy oversees Persona's business and operations function, including sales, marketing, customer success, and operations. She's leading the team toward the company's mission to be the identity layer of the internet for customers, including Square, Sonder, Brex, Udemy, Gusto, BlockFi, Coursera, and AngelList. Previously, Christy was at LinkedIn, where she was the head of business development for LinkedIn Learning Solutions. So Christy, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've got a pretty cool bio, pretty cool uh, base of experience. I want to I want to talk about LinkedIn a little bit. I want to find a little bit about Persona. I was on, I think I'm like member number 200,000 or something on LinkedIn, which was early, but, wow. still, but still feels so late because my my co-author for my book, Free PR, was member number 7,000. I'm like, how did you know about it? Like, were you at like a dinner party with a couple of tech geeks? Like, what the hell? <laughs> what what was it like at LinkedIn? LinkedIn um, is such a lovely place to work, honestly. They are so in touch with, with just the, the talent industry, which has, you know, become so different in the past 10 to 15 years where people really see talent as a competitive advantage and a really core part of building a business. So I think as an employee there, it was really great. Like they are really in touch with um, just how to think about engaging talent and, and retaining talent. One thing about, and, and again, it's, it, it is such a great mission also to really be giving everyone economic opportunity I'll be honest though, LinkedIn was so was so big when I got there. I mean, it was 15,000 employees. I got there wow. right after the Microsoft acquisition. And my boss there had been one of the first hundred people at LinkedIn. And that really, um, you know, that really inspired me in terms of like, then I, you know, I went to Persona afterwards. I thought he would talk about what it was like when LinkedIn was, uh, you know, just a, a totally a startup. And that really spoke to me and, and made me think, I really want to be part of that building phase, like really early when it's just chaotic <laughs> and there's so much stuff to do and, and you know, everyone's kind of just doing everything. Yeah, yeah. That was a, a big part of it. Because when I got there, yeah, it was, it was just, I mean, it's a full on, um, you know, it's just so big now. So it was, it's just very different. But it certainly helped helped shape you, I would imagine, because coming in, did you join um, Persona as the COO or did you? I did. Okay. I so, did. so LinkedIn helped shape you into that role then. I mean, you didn't just like build yeah. your skill set in the COO role, right? So oh, yeah, no, totally. And I think, you know, one of the great opportunities I had there was to kind of build a function from scratch and, and realizing how much I loved doing that and I, how much I loved, even though it was like, there's no playbook yet. That's exactly what I like doing is um, figuring it out. And, and especially the, the kind of go to market 
and business development side of things. Like how do we figure out our first customers? Who does it make sense? Who does our product make sense for, et cetera. So I love that stuff. And, and LinkedIn also really shaped me in terms of, I, I referenced this earlier, thinking about how important people are. Mm-hmm. The people yeah. you bring on, and you know, as you know, when you're a really early stage startup, it's everything. Um, I mean, it, it's still everything for persona is the team yep. and, and thinking really carefully about, and really actually just thinking about, is this a good fit for you? And is this a good fit for us? Not just like trying to sell people and get them to join. And then, you know, maybe it's not the best thing for them. So really right. thinking reciprocally about that. So what was that? What was it that attracted you over at Persona then to leave LinkedIn and come over to Persona? What was it that grabbed you and how many people were there when you started? Great question. So I think I was the third person. It's hard to remember now. <laughs> I was the third person. And the answer is actually uh, Rick and Charles. So I met Rick through my sister who worked with Rick at Square. So it's funny because, you know, she actually worked with a lot of, now we, we have a lot of X squares at, at Persona. And I had met Rick through her previously, just socially. She'd always told me he's a really smart um, entrepreneurial person. And then when he started Persona, she said, he said, okay, I need someone on the business side to her. And she said, why don't you meet my sister? And so I met him and Charles. And honestly, Cameron, it was so small that I was like, I can't join this company. This is, this is so too small, you know? Yeah. Um, Your friends and parents must've thought you were crazy. Completely. Like, and they said, things are going so well at LinkedIn and it's such a great company. Why would you leave? And I thought, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But every time I talk to Rick and Charles, why would I say um, they're very, they're just very genuine and it's a rare thing to meet someone, meet people and have the, the kind of feeling of trust that mm-hmm. I had with both of them. And I, I do believe that in any work environment, but especially a startup, that is by far the most important thing because you don't even know what's going to happen and what's going to come for you all. But you know that if you trust each other, you can work through it. I think especially in the COO, CEO role though, because you're, I think you really are that yin and yang to each other, that more than any other C-level executive, the CEO needs to know that you can come to them with the bad stuff and the real shit. And really, it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes, right? Like you can tell them what's really going on. I totally agree. So how did you know that the trust was there or was it just felt? Um, Was it through your sister and the relationships, like knowing knowing them as friends or was it just- no, that was definitely helpful, right? She she's worked with them. She's worked with Rick a long time. And and you know, you really learn a lot about someone from that. But I think also um Rick and Charles, the trust was was actually I'll, I'll tell you, I had a moment when I first met them where I was like, huh, I think these guys are on something. And I, I think there's we're in the same kind of value zone, which is that. Mm-hmm. Rick and Charles are very are by both by training um, engineers and they're very good engineers. And one of the first things they said to me when we first met was like, even though this is a technical product and even though we're engineers, we we like persona in order to succeed needs an amazing stellar team 
And that team has to be on the sales side. It needs to be marketing, customer success, engineers, design. But the way that they thought they from day one, they were like, we need an amazing team. They were not like, we're going to do it because we're such brilliant engineers. And then like, you know, everyone else is kind of an afterthought. They were so focused on the team from day one. And that made me think, okay, you guys, that's what I think too. So <laughs> I felt, I felt like, wow, even though, um, yeah, I mean, even though honestly they do so much, they did so much of the building early on, they really never ever thought, you know, this, this company is going to succeed because of engineering or because of just because of the product, it has to be an all-star team across the board. And, but isn't that what you hear in the Bay area every day from every startup? Isn't that like, no, I don't think so. Really? Well, you know, okay. Or are they more focused on the product itself and they think it's going to be the next coolest thing in the world. And they're so product centric. I think the latter is very popular. And I think, especially when you're working with a technical product, yeah that becomes everything right and and people think like okay we just need to build the best product possible mm. and then like people you know customers will come the employees will know, come yeah everything yeah. will come from that and rick and charles from day one thought no 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 even though we we actually alone are quite capable in building we really need these other people to help us and just that awareness of things that that you can't do and that you can't do things alone, I don't think is actually that. I think that's actually rare in the valley. Interesting. It's funny that you're, we were kind of talking about like that. You know, if you build it, they will come. Have you seen the movie Field of Dreams? No. So it's it's about this guy who builds a baseball field diamond or whatever the heck it's called. You know, a hundred years ago, and all these all star ex dead players come as ghosts and play on this field. <laughs> And, uh, it's an amazing story with Kevin Costner. It's a, it's a really cool, like if you build it, they will come kind of story. But just last week, they played a real major league baseball game at a field they built right beside the one that, that was built for this movie. And it was kind of cool to go, wow, like these are the best of the best of the best playing at like a farmer's field playing <laughs> at a real MLB. Yeah. I'm not a baseball fan, but it still gave me chills. So, That's okay. So funny. So- so, so you made the decision to leap. You made the decision because you like Rick and Charles. You like their idea around the culture. You like the idea on maybe there's something with this product. What was it like then leaving a 15,000 person company and walking in as three? It like, was very different. different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you go from doing very um Go for lunch with work. everybody. Yeah. And then you're, and then I was doing, you know, everything from, figuring out how to do our taxes, how to file our taxes to how to get, you know, try to get some new customer, any customers. We didn't have any customers at that time to, um, you know, trying to write up some policies around um, just like employee benefits, like everything. It was so many things, but that is actually what I, what I wanted because for me, I thought, wow, I'm going to, or I felt, I really felt from day one, I'm learning so many things, so many different things, um, you know, and, and that's how I learn. I learn by doing them. So it was really fun to be able to, you know, like do an office search as well as go through an outbound, like a hundred messages to try to see if we can get some discovery calls on the product side. So how did, how did they know that you weren't going to be too corporate? You know, how long were you at LinkedIn? 
That's a very good question. I was only at LinkedIn a couple of years. And actually before LinkedIn, I was at Coursera. Okay. And so when Coursera I joined Coursera was smaller then, right? Much smaller. It was, I mean, still much bigger than persona, but I joined Coursera when it was like 70 people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's still an entrepreneurial environment. So you weren't completely a corporate, you know, sales force to Infusionsoft or wherever you were. Right. Okay. So, so they did see some of that. What did you have to unlearn from LinkedIn as great, as great as it was and not yeah. speak ill of the company? What did you have to unlearn or let go of that was more corporate and adapt to be more entrepreneurial? Hmm, good question. Well, I realized quickly, you know, there are a lot of things that are not glamorous about the early days of a startup. And that is everyone's job at the startup. You know, yeah. like anything that needs doing, anything that will um, unblock us and let us keep moving forward, we just, we just got to do. Um, and that was, you know, at LinkedIn, I, I realized in retrospect, there was someone that did everything like down to the slides that we used yeah. in internal meetings. Yeah. So that could, I remember um, I was making like our first pitch deck and I was like trying to find like higher quality logo images <laughs> for, for, you know, like the slides at the end oh, that were like- For free yeah. with un- huh? and unpaid ones too. You had to exactly. Get the yeah. And I kept getting the ones with the watermark yeah. and I was so frustrated. Yeah. And then Rick was kind of like, okay, like this, you know, the fonts aren't consistent. And I was like, oh man, like someone did this for us at LinkedIn. <laughs> um, Been there. But yeah, I think just learning that, like this, your job is now everything we need to do to keep I, going. I just got off a call with about 10 COOs from all over the world. And we were just chatting on something. And I said that when I do job postings now, where I have the list of responsibilities, the number one responsibility above the others is always, and other duties. <laughs> and, that, and then I list the real ones because I want them to fucking know. Like, if it's not on the list, it's your job, man. Like, I but I would totally. do it too. I would do it too, right? But yeah, I just I want it really, really clear that in an entrepreneurial environment, it's like, yeah, let's all grab this and run, versus having to teach. So you were already that DNA. Yeah, and I will say that is another thing I I learned quickly about Rick and Charles, and that's why it was easy for us to to get started. Is we all had that spirit, and and you know, really like. Um, people who joined Persona early were really different. Some was, you know, we had, we had someone who had never had a job before. We had someone who had way more experience than, you know, the three of us combined. We had really different people, but I think the common thread was like, was like wanting to, was, you know, actually like a passion for like, and other duties, you know, like whatever we need to do, let's just do it. Do they operate as co-CEOs or what are their roles today? Charles oversees engineering. So he's the CTO and okay. Rick is CEO. Rick is CEO. And, but is, is everyone call them Rick and Charles or is it just you because you joined and it was Rick and Charles? Like- um, that's a good question. You know, I, I call them that because of what you said when I joined, that was kind of the unit, right. but also, you know, they're best friends Yeah, and they actually live together as well. So That was, that was very similar to Brian and I building 1-800-GOT-JUNK. People thought we were like this, you know, married couple. I'm like, no, first we're both straight. And secondly, we don't live together, but yes, <laughs> but yes, we bicker like a married couple. Yes, we do. We sound exactly like a married couple. All right. Let's back up. What's persona. Give us, give it to us in layman's terms. What's this, this layer. Yeah. Layer? Persona is a solution that helps companies 
verify that their users are who they say they are online. Okay. And, and how does that happen? What, what does that mean? What are you doing? Is it like not, it's not a password. Is it that you're scanning our history or is it that we have to answer questions? What does it do? What? Yeah. Good question. Mm-hmm. You're, and you're on to it. The answer is there are many different ways to verify do that verification. A super popular one is using your government ID and using your face. So it's selfie. Oh. Okay. So it's, it's more the login or the setup. So if I'm setting up my um, crypto account and it needs my driver's license or my passport and a, and a facial recognition, it's using that. It's not so much that it's going to identify that someone's on an Instagram account posting pictures that are me and not them. It's not the Instagram. Yeah. It, it's, it's more, it's more security than someone you, you're not preventing fraud or, or people using, or are you? Oh, we are. We are. I mean, the the beauty of persona and kind of what we're very intentionally trying to do is we do a lot of different use cases. So we do everything from account opening for fintechs to courier or gig economy worker onboarding to online degree. Like before you get your online degree, like verifying that you are that person Um to like you're locked out of your um, your HR account and you need access to your W-2, very common use case. Very cool. And you move jobs, so you don't have that email anymore. Like everything from account recovery for those types of situations to wow. um, fraud. Pre- I mean, fraud prevention is actually huge across all of our industries because it is such a, it's just such a problem for so many, for every kind of, almost every kind of online business. You guys are clearly funded then. How how much you've raised money? I want to ask. Yeah. How much, but how, have you done Series B, C? Where are you? We did, yeah. Index led our Series B um, for $50 million. And um, so we are a venture funded company. Five zero or one five? Five zero. Five zero. So real money. <laughs> yeah. Which is why you've got your Herman Miller Aaron chair at home, which is perfect. <laughs> So- okay, don't worry. Cameron, I'm- this is used. I bought this off Craigslist. Oh, right? I? That's what I did too. There's, I got mine as well. When I when I was COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I rolled in with this Aeron chair in like 2002 or something. I'd had them for years, but Brian's like, oh my God, like people are going to think we're spending money. I'm like, dude, I will tell everyone it's my fucking chair, but like, I'm not going to sit in a shitty chair. I'm sorry. I, I spent 600 bucks buying it used at some like auction place of somebody who went bankrupt, but they're such good chairs. They are. And now look, you're, you were out of your time because now since we're all working from home, we all kind of need to buy used air on chairs. I just, I just bought one for one of my sales team that he was working from home. And I'm like, dude, you just crushed it this month. And I delivered one. And he's like, Oh my God. And he thinks that's yeah. a great, that's such a great, um, like surprise. Well, and it costs nothing, right? Like it costs, it's so little when you think about the, the, the happiness of the employee and the productivity you're going to gain out of them because they yeah. work an extra 20 minutes a day. And the fact, exactly. that, you know, that they think you're the best employer ever and it costs like 1200 bucks. Like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rounding error. I, I really think that people miss the point. All right. So persona, that security layer, you raised money. You were there through the funding then as well through they had, had they raised money the first, the first round or were you there for that too? I was there for the A and the B. Okay. What was it like for the A? The A was led by Co2, and we and Co2 uh, was uh, in our seed too, and it was it was great. I mean, we Rick actually knows Andy, who is the partner Co2 from um, 
from way sure. from a long time ago when Rick was a KP fellow and Andy was at Kleiner Perkins. So it, we've been very lucky in the funding because it, it feels like people we know. Wow. And so it was easy working with them as well. They didn't, in, they weren't like uh, intrusive. They were. Oh, it was very easy. Did it change the culture at all? No, it did not. And I, I you know, it did not. And I think that's a very interesting question because, you know, I think that is something that, you know, now looking forward, that will be a, a, a something we are going to think hard about. But well, and, um, and, it, and it can change the culture in a few ways. Right. Like it's it's the unintended ripple effect. You drop a boulder into a pond, it'll cause ripples and, and they can be good ripples or bad. Right. Um, so, yeah. you know, it could either have everyone work harder because they're more excited or it could give us the resources, which changes the culture because we get to work with smarter people. Or, or it builds the CNBC squawk box, watch the, the ticker culture, which is toxic, right? Um, right. And I mean, I was just going to say one thing I think we've emphasized to, to we call them personards, our employees. Awesome. All personards, uh, nerds about identity. Um, one thing we've really emphasized is the funding is, is great and it is necessary to achieve our vision, but don't get it twisted that that is how we should be measuring ourselves. Because as you were saying, like it, it, I think you can get caught up in it. And especially being in Silicon Valley, you can really get caught up in it. And at the end of the day, it's like, are we building a great product? Are our customers successful with us? Does it add value to them? That's what we need to be focused on uh, versus like any of the, the venture stuff, even though it is you know, important. Are you focusing on making money as a company? Are you focusing on, you know, uh, profitable? Well, we're focused definitely on um, revenue growth and and customer usage of the platform. But no, we're an early stage, you know, VC company at this point. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? Which part? It's interesting because there's there's this line to, you know, in business, you learn about the P&L and it's about driving to the bottom line. And it's like, no, that's not what we do. And I get it because like that's... Yeah. It's it, and it's not it's not a cavalier 1998.com approach. It's just that you have to use that money to grow as fast as possible and take over the market before anybody else does. And as long as you understand the lifetime value, do you have an eye to profitability? Is it something that you're looking at five years out, or is it even discussed? Honestly, we have not. We haven't really discuss that because we're so focused on the product and the customers right now yeah, and making yeah. sure, and especially at a product led company, it's, as you said, it's a little bit of a, of a later stage, I think, uh, topic and, and kind of puzzle. Yeah. Which is intriguing as hell. I, so it's funny that you said persona or pers- what'd you call it? Persona nerds? Persona Personers. Persona nerds. Persona nerds. I was speaking with, have you seen the TV show, The Vow? about the cult Nexium. <gasps> yes, I have seen that. So I'm, I'm friends with Sarah Edmondson, who is this one of the central figures. She's the female from Vancouver that was the big recruiter. And it was her and her husband, Nippy, that basically broke the whole cult. And, and so, I, so she and I are friends here in Vancouver. And, and I was talking to her about her pod. She's a podcast with her husband called It's a Bit Culty. And I was saying that, I, I, I mean, kind of we were back channeling talking. And I said, talking about when does a company go too far with its culture, hmm. you know, like when does, and I don't think you're there, but I, I, I always worried at one 800 got junk. We were such a cult or Google is such a cult. Like at what point do we go too far that we're manipulating employees or 
at what point or what point are we like, you know, working them so hard that we forget that they're actually humans with lives, with kids, with families that, you know, that stuff does matter. Do you talk about that stuff at all? Oh, absolutely. Well, we always, well, we always, um, or often talk about when we're talking to, um, candidates before they join and after is there's your life and there's your work personas work and everyone has and should have a life beyond it. And I am really proud of the things that we do to acknowledge that because I actually think at a lot of startups, and maybe this is what you're referring to, Cameron, people don't really acknowledge right. that 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 you have families that, well, that you people have lives that uh, your fellow coworkers don't necessarily know everything about. Yeah. And that it affects you and it affects the way the way you show up, what you can do, all these things. Um, so I like that we're really open about that. Like this is not a Silicon Valley startup where people are like, you just need to work 12 hours a day and never, you know, and never complain or anything like that. That is not what we subscribe to at all. Yeah, good. I because I, I, I've I'm very much like I've got eight COOs coming to my home for dinner tonight. I've got chefs coming in like two hours and, and I'll be wearing the same t-shirt and probably not shaved. But my one of my kids came up and goes, Can I have a friend over tonight? I'm like, Yeah, I've got like eight COOs coming for dinner. He goes, Well, can I eat too? I'm like, fuck yeah, like you live here, like, of course. Um, and, and, I, and I just think that that's so mo- much more normal in, in building that culture. Do you allow your team to know you? Like outside of the oh, Rick yeah. and Carl, yeah. What- oh, I think we all know each other. I mean, again, like, I don't, I don't think we, I think a really important thing is to know or it, at, at Persona and in general is just to be like, you don't know everything about everyone. And especially during COVID, that's kind of been thrown into relief, right? You don't know what everyone's situation is. And so you need to, everyone needs to be respectful of um, everyone else's comfort limits, right? Or what they're comfortable doing. Until your first burning man, at which point it's all bets are off, right? (laughs) Um, But, uh, but I, I do think actually everyone is able to, or what we encourage is bringing your whole self to work and, and really just recognizing that people are people, um, that it is, you know, one of the first things we did actually, even though we were only like six people is we agreed that parent parental leave would be 16 weeks, which people were like, that's crazy for a startup. And we were like, that is the bare minimum that what we should be doing. And um, I remember it because one of our first engineers, they were expecting a baby and he was really stressed. And I could tell that he was Mm -hmm. thinking like, am I going to get in trouble because I want to be with my family and the baby. And, um, and that's why we put this policy, we made it all formal and said like, no, this is absolutely what you should be doing. And if you want to take more time, take more time, you know, like everyone. um, Yeah, I think, I think we definitely try and, you know, I'm sure we could do better. I'm sure there's more. That's that's a huge, huge, huge step though, that most companies never, it doesn't even come up in their discussion, let alone the first person you did it for was a male, which is even more progressive, right? Like I, I almost said, how can you yeah. go 16 weeks, but to, to do that, that's really strong. Yeah. I mean, I think, and that's but, another thing that I will say, you know, like um, that's another reason I, I kind of knew I found my people with Rick and Charles when I was talking to them for, you know, a long time before I actually joined was that I thought maybe I would get a lot of pushback on that kind of thing on I want this to be a safe space. I want people to feel like they can be themselves. And there was, you know, they were totally on the same page day one. 
that that was actually super important to, to making people happy at work. Like that's a big thing for us is, you know, you can have lots of jobs where you are going to make a lot of money or have like amazing work-life balance and happiness and actually having fun at work is not um, always part of that. Yeah. And we want it to be somewhere like you actually want to be here. You are happy and having fun every day. And I will say, even though it sounds cheesy, I have fun every day at Persona. Except that, one day. When was there, there must have been one hard day in the two and a half years. Oh, no, there have been many hard days. Okay. okay. There have been many hard days. What have been the tough times? What did you guys have to go through that it's kind of the lessons from the edge or what? where did you go where you were like, what were some of the oh shit moments that you got through? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, that one. COVID has been terrible, or or COVID has been difficult, you know, for everyone. We were kind of like really humbled by it because we were walking around before COVID saying, we don't ever want to be remote. We're all in person. <laughs> and then COVID hit and suddenly we were all remote wow. and um, all fully distributed when we had been so tight. So yeah. Uh-huh. You were like a tight culture. And we, and we kind of kept emphasizing it saying like, oh, well, it wouldn't work if we were going to be distributed. And then suddenly we were like, oh crap, we have to make it work. Um, and I think like that was a really humbling thing for us to realize, like, you know, we, we don't, we, we need to make it work and we need to, we can't, um, we can't just rely on all the things that we thought were going to, that we thought were going to be possible before COVID. Yeah. Are you, are you going back to a you know, office-based culture, or are you going to be staying remote? What's your, or your hybrid? We're going to do hybrid. We're going to do hybrid, like have an office that people can go into, but um, it's not, you know, before the expectation was everyone would be in the office. And now we've not only made remote hires, but also even if you're in the Bay area, there's much more flexibility. Did you have, we were just speaking about this with this group earlier as well. Um, did you have the culture where it was like a nine to five ish kind of culture or was it just, no, never. Or was it just, we're like a hub of energy and activity and you can come and go whenever you want, but we're always working together. It was, it was more of the latter. It sounds like totally the latter. Okay. And, and now how are you, and what are you doing to build the culture, the cult, right? What are you doing to build that culture now that you're more distributed or hybrid? Are, are there systems or what any specific tactical things you're doing to keep that culture and energy and um, team together? That's a good question. Well, we've been, we've been trying new things like different things on Zoom chats, um, having kind of Zoom activities that are very suited for Zoom in particular. Yeah. Um, and, and just enabling people to, if they can, get together safely outside, especially, uh, you know, like enabling them and empowering them to do that. But, um, but no, we don't really have specific, to be honest, we don't have specific systems in place. Nothing we, yet. We don't really need to like, we'll need to work on that. 
I, um, I, I coached a company years ago called Acceleration Partners, and they've got about 140 employees, and they're 100% remote and always have been. And they ranked as the number three company to work for on Glassdoor last year. Wow. So super strong cult, right? And digital, yeah. um, you know, lots of techies. And um, yeah, they've had to work really, really hard at it to, because culture was so important to them. But the CEO from day one was like, but there's no freaking way I'm going into an office. Uh, but but he wanted like like that Google kind of culture without the inner office. So you do have to work at it for sure. My sister started a company in COVID called Jam, um, and I just put a link in the in the notes. Jam Group Events or Workplay Jam, but they run online interactive fun events for companies. And they're doing it all over the world, and she's just hit seven figures in her first like eight months. Yeah, she's crushing it. It's kind of cool. And wow. they're, really, they're actually legitimately super fun. I, I've run some for the CEO Alliance and I'm not pitching you. I just, I thought yeah, of it yeah. as I was asking the question. So what have you had to, 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 um, to grow at as a CEO and how many employees do you have now? We have 80. 80. So real company, 80 employees, you've raised 50 million in funding. This is not um, a small company anymore. You're, you're now, you're not quite at the politics stage yet where you hit, I think like a hundred <laughs> Right at 100 employees, you tend to get political or art. Do you have some politics creeping in yet? No, no, we don't. But I'm laughing because I agree with you. It's Coming. like, um, you know, we're in this beautiful, magical phase. Yeah, you're, it's like the buttery haze phase of dating, right? Everything's great. I love him so much. <laughs> Everything's good until he just, you know, he leaves shit lying around the house. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's between 100 and 300 employees. The politics starts to creep in in the company. But you're running a real business with 80 employees. How have you had to change and adapt as a leader from kind of the go from three to 10, 10 to 30 and 30 to 80? Like, yeah. what have you, how have you been different in those three different sections? Like so, from, three to, from three to 10, when you were building a management team, how did you have to adapt? Well, I mean, that three to 10 phase was what we were talking about earlier. Just everyone's doing, doing everything. You know, I did every single sales call. Um, I mean, hell, Rick was in every single sales call. Uh, and and we were all, you know, I knew everything that was happening on the roadmap because we we talked it. about it every day and we yeah. could, right? Um, and then 10 to 30. So you're, honestly, now hire, you're now you're hiring your first management team at the 30, it's right? true. But, you know, 10 to 30 was kind of, it wasn't that different because right. the, the, you know, we've been fortunate in that we've, been growing so much from a customer perspective that even then I still did every single sales call. Um, I knew every customer and, and even though we were hiring, you know, we got customer uh, lead for customer success, a lead for a couple salespeople. It was still very much like, I, I think I could do like everything from very in the weeds to, you know, like, okay, let's talk about the board deck or the investors deck, blah, blah, blah. And then I think the real change was after 30, because now we were starting to, they were starting to build out their teams. Yep. And um, and then I was trying to figure out, okay, more about how do we onboard these people better? How do we enable them? And then also we started having more conversations about about hiring. And that right. that became more of a um a more strategic. Yeah. And, and now it is, it is, it's different again, because it, you know, I don't know every single person that works at Persona, yeah, which is yeah. wild to me. Right. Um, 
yeah, it, it feels very odd. I mean, honestly, I'm trying to get to know. I still think I can. Um, yeah, but it stops between 100 and 300. You can't. And then you get to the point where you don't even know what they do. Let alone, <laughs> it's not only do I like, it's not only like, who are you? Like, do you work here? And now it's, <laughs> that's, that's a really weird times then. Oh my God. I can't imagine that because. Oh, I. I was COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We had 3,000 employees system-wide. We had 248 at the head office. And I was sitting talking to a guy in an elevator. And then he goes, oh, do you work here? And I was like, yeah, it's okay, dude. Yeah, I've been here for a long that fucking time. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah, I work here. Yep. Um, and you I didn't, you're like, I've done some stuff here. Yep. Yeah, been around. Yep. Oh, my gosh, you're Cameron. Yeah, that, I'm Cameron. Um, yeah. So. So have you had to change then your skill set? Have you had to slow down? Have you had to become less entrepreneurial again? Or do you just stick core to what you're doing? And is are you just more, are you more evolving than having to change? Good question. I mean, I've definitely learned a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff about myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot every day, but I, I do think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at prioritizing. I will say the challenge of persona so far or more most recently is how how good can you be at prioritizing and how much more kind of ruthless can you be and i'm realizing i need to be more i need to get even better i mm. certainly do you know and realize okay what are the most um what's the highest and best use of my time or what are the things that only uniquely i can do because there are a lot of things where my impulse is still like I want to be in there. I want to be in that customer conversation. I want to read every single document right. about that customer. I want to, I want to read every slide about the roadmap. And there are literally no, no longer enough hours in the day for me to do that. Impossible. Right. So what, what have you boiled or what are you starting to boil down to the critical few areas that are kind of your unique ability as a leader? I think. Or that give, or that give you the most energy. I do. I still love scouting for people, for new personas. I love it. I've loved it since day one and I still love it. Um, you know, and that is certainly something that I'll, the whole, there's a whole team now behind talent and recruiting yeah. and they're amazing. And so it's certainly not just me, but um, I still love that because I am very, I feel like I can really back up what I say about the company. I'm not, I'm not bullshitting. I'm not selling things that I don't really feel or believe, or I'm like, oh, is that true? Um, you know, it's kind of like a salesperson who has a really good product. I think you also have a very innate understanding of the needs of the company as well. And you can see it like, you know, the opportunity or, you know, the person when you see it, cause you're so clear on, I think you're so clear. I feel like you're very, very clear on the company and you just, you can see the round peg when you need it. Like, I agree. I think that is actually um, something I really enjoy and something I do feel like I can bring to the company because I've been here and because, um, you know, I just get so much energy from that. And that is seriously still the best part of my job for sure is just figuring out, hey, OK, what do we need? Could that person be good for it? What are their strengths? What are their areas of growth? That kind of thing. I love that kind of thing. Where does Christy need to improve if if Rick or Charles were to sit down and say, or, or, you know, let's not even bring them into the conversation. If you were to self-assess or your team was to give you an assessment, where would they, where would they say that you need to, to improve or what, or what do you know you're improving on or working on right now? Honestly, it goes back to that impulse I have to want to know every detail. I need to not only let go, but also I think 
I need to realize like, not everyone's going to know every detail on my team either. Yeah. (laughs) And that's part, like, that's just something that's going to happen because we're moving so fast. Um, And, you know, I was telling someone the other day, that is something I have really learned about myself and I, I do need to work on is the, it's two sides of one coin in my mind. One side is I have very high expectations. Yeah. And I like that because I think that setting the bar high is good for a startup and it's good for attracting the right talent. Um, but the flip side of it is sometimes I'm really focused on these like small things that, you know what, we can't know everything. We can't do all that because we got to move. Yeah. We got to 80 20 it because we are a startup and you're not doing brain surgery and you're not flying planes. Like no one's actually going to die. No, exactly. And, but part of me is like, and it's kind of like that big company part of me. I also started out in finance. No, but like, you're also, you're about- also a straight A student. Like you're a very smart, <laughs> you, you were a straight A student, right? I was, I was. Yeah, so-, so there's part of me that's like, what about the details? Like- right. Right. Whereas I was this, I was the C minus student. I'm like, I can't spell details for Christ's sake, let alone find them. All right. I want to go back to the 22 year old Christy Kim. She's just finishing college. She's getting ready to start on her career. What advice would you give Christy at 22 that you now, you know, to be true, but you wish you knew it earlier. Oh, I know this one. I know this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I act and I say this all the time. I have a little sister. So I, I keep always, I'm sure I'm an annoying broken record to her. What I would tell young Christy is careers are not linear. Mm. And I really thought that when I was young, like when I was fresh, I thought, okay, I got to do this and then that, and then that, and then that, and then I'll get to here. Of course. Yeah. And it is just so not that way. Yeah. And you will drive yourself insane if you try to make it that way. Yeah. (laughs) If you try to figure out that path in advance, you can't. Someone I I recently had on the show said that they feel like it's all about picking something, working as hard as possible and putting all your energy into it. And then when the next thing comes, doing the same there. But but the path, you can see the path backwards, but not in advance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I would also tell young Christy, you know, it's so easy to be caught up in like, title and like, uh, you know, title and kind of level and um, reporting structure and all those things. And I, and persona has been an, I really like really hit this home for me. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter as much as you think it does as in um, it, just, yeah, don't, it sounds really cheesy, but if you optimize for those things in your career and job, it's probably not going to make you happy. Mm. And like, at this point, you know, I really think, I, I think when I was not, not 22, but I think after my first kind of operating role, I was like, I really want this, um, this title. And I want to report to this person. And, and I, what I realized now is like, you know, you don't have to report to XYZ person to be like doing really good work and to be happy. Right. You can do that in any role. Yeah. And now I kind of see people and I'm like, you know what? I would report to them. I would report, like there, you, there's this flexibility I have now in my mind of just like, you know, it doesn't have to be, don't prioritize that. Like sometimes you, it would just make sense for you to just not, for you to not report to um, totally 
Yeah. Yeah. Now you want to do cool shit with cool people, but it doesn't exactly. matter what the title is. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't care what your title is. And it's funny. I, I see that in a lot of, um, in some interviews and I, I get both sides of it now. Well, this was a good one. Christy Kim, COO for Persona. I really appreciate you sharing with us today and spending time on the Second Command podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Cameron. What a fun, what a fun way to kind of have an afternoon and break up the day of, of many meetings and back-to-backs. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I actually had this recording as well. I had a panic moment about 35 minutes. And I'm like, God, please tell me I pressed record. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. It was nice to meet you. I hope you have a fun dinner. And what are the chefs making? I don't know. My assistant picked the menu. I just know it's, I said really great food and I just want to have a fun time. So it won't be ostentatious. It'll just be fun. And yeah, whatever. We'll see. That sounds amazing. Thanks, Christy. Take care. Have a good night. Bye. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.